Hey everybody, welcome back to Wazir Authority. I'm Corey. And I'm Will. We're at it again. I think it's like three weeks in a row. Yeah, we are, and the story hasn't shifted much, has it? <laughs> no. So this, uh, this is going to be the disappointing uh, part of the vault when uh, you find just another hour of rehashing the, th- the Which same Which one of thing, us is so. Geraldo Rivera? Uh, I guess you are. Just this, the, the mustache? It's the, I mean, effect. yeah, because you just have to shave the rest <laughs> of it. We're going to open Al Capone's vault, and it's sadly still Trump inside. Yeah, yeah. The American political landscape has not... Has not shifted whatsoever. Which I think is a good thing. Hear me out, <laughs> right? Also, like all too often, we get a situation where Trump makes some sort of bellicose or bombastic statement, but then he's able to walk away from it because he creates another house fire. So right. it's good that even though he's done other things, his Charleston response... Yeah. Is still not Charleston. Charlottesville response. Right, right. Is still different Nazi thing. Um, right, right. Trump can't help but be Trump. Yeah. It reminds us always not to like let yeah. down our guard. Absolutely. Because that happened early on where he'd get up and he'd say something that appeared presidential, at least as the media reported, but really it was just not moronic. Yeah. And so the only bucket they could put it into was presidential. So, yeah, it's this sort of semi presidential. He was just, he, 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 he wasn't achieves. a bumbling, raving idiot. Yeah. Like and you, you put him on a teleprompter. Yeah, teleprompter. And he stuck Trump, to exactly. the words. And, and he's, suddenly that's president. And he's not particularly good with a teleprompter. Like, I grew up in the era of Republican politicians uh, chastising President Obama for relying too heavily on a, the teleprompter. Mm. Well, <sighs> there you go. <laughs> this is what you get. This is what you get for making those kinds of comments. And it's not like there aren't. Republican candidates that don't command attention and aren't able yeah, to. Yeah, sure. I mean, Marco Rubio is a relatively good speaker. When he's not sweating and shaking and chugging water from underneath the Yeah. I mean, yeah, when he's not taking a water break. I was uh, really worried in, in that moment that he was just like... Yeah. I, I Chris Christie is relatively <laughs> capable of conveying some sort of an emotion. I've Marco never... Rubio, water. Chris Christie, M&M's. <laughs> oh, you know he had a bad eye. Enough fat jokes. Um, especially for... <laughs> Uh, all right, so on the teleprompter theme, we got teleprompter Trump this week. We did, we did. Um, we actually had some policy news, some foreign policy news. Actually, yeah, something so that... let's dive into that. So, sure. So Tuesday night, we hear that Trump is going to make some sort of a major foreign policy uh, speech. And what did we get? We got a speech. Yep. Uh, it dealt with foreign Foreign, foreign policy related issues dealt with yeah. Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. Surprisingly, I don't think anyone expected dealt with Pakistan. Yeah, um, and really, really, really short on any useful details. Yeah, a little bit of grandstanding, a little bit of posturing. So maybe what we should do is we should set the stage for this speech. So what's going on in Afghanistan as we speak? Uh, well, so the thing we've heard reported over and over now for years is a general trend that the Taliban continues to gain ground. Mm-hmm. Uh, that the, I guess, I guess the world thinks it's been our goal in being there to run the Taliban out of power and influence. I don't know that's ever been a specific military goal. That was never our initial purpose for being there. But that's, I mean, in the media, that's the measure that gets used. Yeah, I mean, the thing that made Afghanistan at least 
historically interesting and will be interesting 200 years from now and it's not extraordinarily irritating for Americans is that um, we went in there and kind of found enemies. (laughs) Yeah. We found reasons to stay. And it's not so simplistic that it was that we just rolled in and decided, oh, we're going to go after those guys. Too, yeah. Right. You come in, you, uh, I think we've given 10 plus billion dollars yeah, to the Afghani government. An and guess who asks for help in going after these elements? The Afghani government, mm-hmm. people in Kabul, um, those that are against the Taliban just innately mm-hmm. as Afghanis. So it's not like we just decided, ah, we're also going to go after those guys and shoot them too. Yeah. It's nuanced. We're, we're deeply entrenched there, not just militarily, but with our, our aid packages, our political support. Um, we're asked to do a lot of things. And what's really currently, what's the position that, uh, th- does the Afghan government have the capacity to deal with? No, no. And that's, and do you think it's primarily because of a lack of cohesive leadership in the region? I know that that's what's often reported. I mean, if we're just talking about Af- uh, the Afghani's domestic effort to uh, have a security presence in their own country such that they can control Taliban influence. And let's say not even, I don't think the Afghanis think that they have a goal of controlling the whole country. Mm-hmm. It's certain provinces, it's certain regions. They understand that there's going to have to be some type of partnership or agreement with the Taliban. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think they're up against... Um, then, but then, does that make Afghanistan an insurgent state? I don't think so. Not the way you would think about Pakistan. Even though Pakistan, okay. you know, Pakistan is much more effective at going after the terrorists that aren't aligned with their their national agenda. Mm-hmm. But they are also um, well known to be a safe haven, absolutely a hotbed for terrorists. That there's a whole lot of other countries in the world. Those terrorist organizations, they would like to see them gone. Mm-hmm. Um, the Afghan army, the Afghan security forces, there's an incredibly high likelihood that you're going to die. I mean, just the risk to life and joining. Um, the, uh, I don't know if it's under-resourcing or under-training, but just the Afghani government has acknowledged for years now that they're trying to do this and they're not able to. Yeah. They can't do this independently. Yeah. Um, and there's a number of different reasons for that. Uh, so they're still asking for our help. So that they want a U.S. support. They want U.S. support. They want a U.S. response. They want an official U.S. position. Mm-hmm. Um, I and don't know that America. Did we provide that on Tuesday? I, I mean. Because what was reported. <laughs> so, so, so now that we know a little bit about at least the last eight to nine months. Right. Um, what kind of solidified response did we get from the president on Tuesday? I, the interviews I've heard with actual administration level uh, analysts or policy experts to recently ex you know policy experts is that there was none i mean as far yeah. as specifics go anything you can go off of and have any amount of confidence and plan against um we didn't really get anything it seems though that this speech really lacked any sort of reference to specific officials that have a certain amount of uh experience dealing with <laughs> diplomats in the region yeah. working on a bilateral level to, I don't think, to craft did you get a sense that there was any nod at all toward diplomacy being part of his strategy but i don't think there was really a nod towards yes but we'll get to pakistan in a second right. uh there wasn't there wasn't that with respect to to afghanistan no it seemed that we're hearing a lot of the same rhetoric that we got from 
what it really felt like a poorly crafted Bush era. Yeah, and I, I think this happened and came together pretty quickly, and I don't think it was Trump oh, who this was, called for it. This was hastily crafted. Uh, I think this is the staff at some level felt like, I don't know, let, let's talk about something official foreign policy-wise to distract from what's going on domestically with Charlottesville now, are, to are like, you... get back to being president, to get back to being presidential. But I say it was rushed because we've heard now that Trump did not talk to any of the generals in charge of uh, military operations in the region. None of this uh, was driven by uh, conversations with the Joint he Chiefs. Didn't, he didn't even receive counsel from Mattis, McMaster, right. or Rex Tillerson, who yeah. was cut out of this uh, speech entirely. Yeah. And that should be shocking, considering some of the topics that he touched on as it related to India-Pakistan. Yeah. And if, if the White House is not able to kind of carefully discuss issues that are as tense as the relationship between India and Pakistan. Not only is Trump showing himself to be possibly inept, but this is when it goes from being insulting, which the media does a really good, the, and I hate condemning the media because the fourth estate's really important. They do a really, 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 really good job at explaining why it's clear that Trump does not know what he's talking about or why it's clear that what Trump is doing is is insulting to many different people and divisive and uh, bellicose. But what they don't necessarily always do, and I think that's maybe us included. I don't think we're the fourth estate. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> but but even just two people sitting at like a coffee table yeah, discussing sure. politics, we often miss, and I miss it all the time. Why? What the actual implications are what the dangers are when it comes to having people that lack any basis of understanding as it relates to foreign policy because (laughs) if there was any region that really didn't need a conventional state v state war it would be the middle east and particularly india and pakistan that could end in a nuclear holocaust yeah. I, I don't think any um, – no one on the world stage, when you talk about the ability to impact things um, diplomatically, expected this reality to exist, for the U.S. to kind of fall apart as drastically as it has. So I think as far as like the option for diplomacy on the world stage goes, I think well, other countries were... are going to drive that effort. But I think the United States well, is only... this huge step backwards. Yeah, you can only hope that – the P5 will usurp the United States sure. authority, and I, maybe and I even just will. temporarily to deal with these issues. But my concern... I think they have to. Yeah. My concern is maybe the P5 doesn't fill that vacuum. Maybe China and Russia fill that vacuum. Oh, yeah. There's no shortage of interests as they that did, want to yeah. get involved in influencing that outcome. As they did in, in Western Africa in the yeah. 1980s and 90s. And we know what that led to. Yeah, That, that led to, to situations like... <laughs> The Sudanese Civil War, yeah. Darfur, uh, and now the South Sudan famine. It's, it, it never, ever, ever, as much as this could seem like a Eurocentric and American-centric perspective, this is also going to sound kind of globalistic, though, in a, in a sense as well. It's better for the United States and Europe to at least try to handle these issues. Oh, yeah, of course. Then I mean, it is for China and Russia. Yeah. It, well, so if you're an American or if you're, 
you know, British. I mean, if you're Russian or you're, if you're China, of course, you'd rather see your own country be the influencer. But I think... But if we look at successful outcomes... Right, right. And if, we compare yes, the work yes. of the P5 plus one right. and China. I, we all probably have this shared goal of peace abroad, mm-hmm. peace around the globe. And historically, if you look just at the, the evidence and the facts, that's been more likely to happen, at least in the, I don't know, the last thousand years or so, yeah. in the situation that we had up until you know, the last decade or so, which was um, primary international diplomatic influence being headed by the United States and its allies. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think historically... And that trend truly began with, with <clears throat> FDR telling Churchill that the era of empires is over, right? Yes. Um, that, and ever since then, it's been the United States kind of at the helm right. of ensuring that these multilateral dialogues take place. And now that we see not only do we have a president who wants to wall off the United States diplomatically, right? right. Especially when it comes to interacting with countries to the south of the United States, particularly with pulling out of the TPP and not at least not proposing an alternative. Um, it, it shows the United States pulling back from, from its role as really a global leader in yeah orchestrating these kinds of discussions. I think I have a great analogy for you, and it's uh, go to something pretty recent. I think historically, the United States had great military might that was mm-hmm. always sitting one row back from a great diplomatic presence around mm-hmm. the world, headed by a State Department, and an administration that typically looked at the diplomatic option first. Yes. But what we have now is equivalent to when Trump was on the stage, other world leaders, and bullied his way to the front, pushed everyone aside. And I think we have a similar scenario now where before you would see the military backing the diplomatic corps, diplomatic corps is off the stage. It's Trump not even has the present. generals behind him. Yeah. It's the military. All of his interactions, engagements with foreign leaders abroad that he has any type of contention with is and generally the, and the context, military yeah. might or I'm bowing up on you or you better watch yourself. I mean, you saw it with all of his statements pushed, you know, aimed toward North Korea. That's, that's actually better, a, better watch it. I really like this point, particularly when it comes to, to the fact that at least for the last 70 years, the United States diplomatic uh, pursuits have been really only backed. They were, you're right, kind of two spaces disconnected. Yeah. Um, it was always present, right? You can go to the, the Roosevelt Doctrine and, and mm-hmm. the Monroe Doctrine to talk about how... how always have a big stick. Yeah, always, always have a big <laughs> stick, but try your best not to use it. Right, um, right. <laughs> We saw on the call with um, Maduro, right, mm-hmm. that, oh, you're afraid of your uh, your drug dealers while my military is. What kind of <laughs> – how do you frame a conversation about yeah. drug enforcement policy in the United States around utilizing U.S. military forces? Yeah, my, my dad's tougher than your dad. My dad can beat up your dad. That's, I mean, that's, that's what it's come to, and – Mm-hmm. He's a man-child. I mean, he operates emotionally and intellectually when he engages with others, especially when he runs into conflict like a kid. So I know that we had some faith in Kelly and McMaster um, and Mattis. Uh, does Tuesday's speech impact that at all? We're going to have to see because this is, um, I think, the first real big... Well, no, it's the second because the transgender ban was the first, and that's gone. In, that, that's at least been pushed out of the White House and in some sort of again pseudo 
legislative order for it's not exactly yeah. a, it's it's a presidential like suggestion we've never seen this before like if a president had a, a goal or an agenda to create a particular change yeah. he would always go to the joint chiefs so we're talking about dod related changes go to the joint chiefs he would start the conversation there that he and his staff always knew procedurally and logistically what they had to do behind the scenes to actually make some of this stuff happen and then you know the conversation evolves and eventually you see see a formal byproduct a form, formal artifact at the end of that that is new legislation whatever it might be but what we have now is 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 trump either through twitter or someone else being almost wholly disconnected from these people who are running the military on a day-to-day basis just deciding that he's going to do something and he announces it to the world yeah so you've had mcmaster you've had i mean maybe say well that may be what he wants to do but i have to follow the laws and until it becomes an actual so i don't know if the transgender ban is actually going to ever materialize as something they can. It act will probably on. never ever be effectively uh, instituted. <laughs> well, I don't know if it's going to get to the point where they'll say, "Okay, like all the boxes are checked, the T's are crossed, and the I's are dotted." Now I can even consider, in, like, if, if this is a lawful order or not. Yeah, and I don't think I think of the same thing potentially of all this uh, policy proposal for Afghanistan and Pakistan. I think it may just be talk. Yeah, and that's where we have to well, wait that's, and see. That's a pretty cynical perspective to have, but I unfortunately agree with you, right? That this was all uh, an attempt to 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 try to shift the dialogue away from Charlottesville and away from the comments he made. Yeah, I mean, about... it's why it's, it's why he got back to the wall. It's why he had the rally. Yeah. I mean... So let's so let's now transition to to the rally right <laughs> um so we get this oh, at least this attempt at being presidential right he he shoots who knows the rally being the attempt? no 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 this is the attempt at being presidential was the speech addressing R- okay uh pakistani u.s relations and afghanistan yeah. uh because apparently those those issues are really just the same to him which is another indicator that I don't know if he, he doesn't really know what he's doing. Has any idea what he's doing? No. But so we get to the rally and we see kind of a completely different human being. Like if if Trump was a manic depressive, Tuesday was depressed Trump. <laughs> Wednesday was the manic phase. Yeah. Absolutely. So let's so let's talk about Trump mania. It, mania is the perfect word. Yeah. For him. Yeah. He he. Where do we start? How about this? I'll let you oh, carry the torch through this segment here <laughs> about the rally. It's hard. So there's a, there's places you can start, and it depends on which part of your frustration and outrage you want to indulge first. He's a clown uh, as far as how he behaves behind the pulpit. It's like he surrounded himself with all of his lackeys and buddies and the, the little people that thinks that think he is there for him. And he's just holding like a high school pep rally yes. to get them going. And he understands. I don't think he understands It's this. an immense exercise in narcissism and just ego yeah, it, mania. Yeah, like it's he, all defeat his ego. He goes to the greatest hits, right? He talks about the wall. He talks about Hillary. He talks about, well, in this case, he attacks McCain. right? He goes to all the stuff that... He can go to to draw a line from, if I say this, they applaud for me and I feel better about myself as yeah. a president, as a yeah. politician, about the fact that I won. Because I sit in Washington and all I hear all day long from all the major media outlets is, I'm a failure, right? I can't, 
I can't carry this office. Um, so he's got to go get an ego hit from these rallies and stuff. Um, short aside, I really want to know who the black guy was behind him oh, in the white T-shirt. Okay. Do you want to know apparently a little he's repping bit? <laughs> blacks for Trump okay. across the country? Because right. I, I think the number was under 1% Here we of go. the African-American community voted for Trump. Here we go. So there's a solid chance, and, and I know this just because it's, it's a common – okay. When you put your – candidate on a podium behind a lectern mm-hmm. you try to create as much of a diverse crowd behind you or at least whoever you're trying right. to attract to at least project the image that um that uh you want to convey every person that's there is there so for a reason i they're handpicked this is going to be really 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 cynical but i i believe that if there was <laughs> another black man there he would also have been behind trump i'm I'm just putting it out there. I, I think that might have been the only black guy at the rally. God, I mean, that so, wasn't a journalist. It's 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 honestly not a really important conversation. But because the, each one is entitled to every person in this country is entitled to their own political beliefs, regardless of their background, their sure, ethnicity. Sure, but this is when it gets interesting. So the website that that guy was promoting um, is really really weird. Um, so you know how his sign had blacks for Trump and then it was gods2.com. Right. Don't go to gods2.com. <laughs> it's not worth your time. It's kind of crazy. Well, give us the, the 10, 30, I don't know, 10, 20, 30 second summary. <sighs> it's like, it's like neo-fascism, but if it was cool. It's like hipster neo-fascism? It's like hipster neo-fascism. It's, it's that like Reddit neo-fascism. It's exactly what you think it is. It's another... Trumpity Trump Trump website that that is indistinguishable from r slash the Donald, the Daily Stormer, things like that, uh, except with a little bit of a spin because it's they just get behind the like, let's make America great again. Yeah, like call, a little or... bit more than that. Okay. Well, anyways, uh, it was interesting to see a bunch of old eighty something snowbirds, old white ladies sitting next to the to that guy with the with the with the shirt inside. Um, Okay, but on the trial, on the on the rally specifics, what he said, I don't know. Which part do you want to start with? His attacking, you know, Senators Flake and McCain. Um, do you want to go to Joe Pio? Uh, the comments, the comments he made there that led to an actual pardon. Do you want to start, or do you want to dig into the? Uh, so let's start the ego, with the ego let's stroking. Let's start elements. with the the extreme contrast between the pre- like the president that we saw on Tuesday and the chauvinist that appeared on Wednesday. Because let's remember that, and I didn't mention this, and this is, this is my fault. Uh, Trump initiated his speech with a call for unity, which is really one of the only jobs that the president has in like a time of strife, right? To call for, for Americans to come together and for a common purpose, a common goal because of our shared values maybe not even our shared ideology anymore but at least the values that we share yeah um so trump made that that it was almost arbitrary um so he did it poorly in my opinion um and then less than 24 hours later we have this uh bombastic balderdash about how the media hates America, mm-hmm. they're providing a platform for these hate groups, how um, certain senators are 
you should never ever there there are a handful of rules but don't call out senators if you're the president of the united states don't do it in the format that he did it he did both of those things now he said he wasn't going to call them out by name he just said your senator that means there's two of them sure and then he provided additional details which means one of them jeff flake <laughs> right um and then he praised his opponent which makes no sense because the best thing that could happen for Democrats is if Jeff Flake loses the primary. Right. Jeff Flake is secure as long as he wins the primary. If he loses the primary, it's up in the air as to whether or not the Republican Party can retain that seat. Sure. Um, and then he calls out McCain again for his vote on health care. Well, what he should have done was, you know, months ago or years ago at this point, not criticize the man for having been captured by the North Vietnamese army. <laughs> the, the fact that he lacks the grace to, to take political losses and just take them in the teeth and move on, you can still be an arrogant man and lose, right? Mm-hmm. He, can, he can still be as brash and bold and as moxie-fueled as he wants, but to call out U.S. senators who are yeah. not beneath him. Yeah, no, grace is the last adjective you Who would are not, use. He believes that these people are, are truly beneath him. Oh, uh, he believes everyone is beneath him. There's, there's no, like, and one bucket of, of course, equal and, then, and one bucket of beneath So him. what it indicates is that he, again, doesn't have an understanding procedurally of what governing is. Yeah, he's um, a child. <laughs> it's so, I totally get where you're coming yeah. from and where you're going. Because you want to, you see a 70-plus-year-old man up there. Mm-hmm. You see someone who, by some numbers, whichever one you want to pick, has had years of experience on the global business Doing stage. things. Yeah. Um, hasn't, you know, fallen off a cliff. Was it smart enough to at least keep himself alive? Yeah, didn't right? eat lead paint in the 50s. Yeah, so you're a, you're a good human being, okay, and you right. try to give that person the benefit of the doubt. Like, yeah. your default position is to assume he probably has these good characteristics and qualities. But the truth is, he is a child. Yeah. And in his interactions with McCain, it is always about in, in Flake and Sessions and anyone else. Are you are you supporting me? Like, are you loyal to me? Are you fighting for me? Are you do you got my back? And that's where it begins and ends. And the moment you appear to be disloyal or to do anything that he doesn't like because he feels like it's or a, not a front. even if if you're no longer useful for him, that as well, absolutely. I mean, the the loyalty does not run both ways here. Yeah. So I I don't I really don't think that in his average day there's there are many points in which he mentally sits down and goes through his broader strategy a broader agenda um uh thinking about the nuance of his relationships with people it's always knee-jerk reactions and so you know had mccain given him the vote for health care he'd be singing his praises until the next thing happened yeah and then he would just do a 180 until he voted down congress's proposal to ban transgender Right, there. right. So he's, I mean, to the Which point died you in the making, house. That, that died in the house. Yeah. So He's spitting in the face of all the history around how you would expect a president to behave in the office. Because you don't bring those relationships with senators because you have to work with them. Yeah, and let's also talk about how he's just a really shitty Republican, too. Because the one thing that the Republican Party needs to do is ensure that Jeff Flake wins this primary. Oh, yeah. I mean, the Republican Party is going to spend a lot of money trying yes, to take down for the party. his... his uh, his opposition yeah. because she is insane. Yeah. Uh, she's suggested that, well, she, well, first of all, his opponent has spent a lot of time 
sitting down with esteemed American journalist Alex Jones, discussing topics as relevant and important as black helicopters, uh, the UN stealing your babies, and um, contaminated drinking water, dr- drinking water that turn uh, amphibious creatures uh, into uh, drag queens. <laughs> it's really, it's really like. These are the, I mean, these are the real problems. We were all okay with straight frogs. Gay yeah. frogs is where we draw the line. That's the no, no, no gay frogs. And you can count on a liberal. And definitely, to to definitely no trans frogs. Like, oh my god! I wonder if the gay frog thing came about because science stepped forward initially and quickly debunked that whole Republican argument, or we'll just say the I don't know the conservative Christian argument that homosexual was um, abnormal mm-hmm. with. The scientific evidence that says um, there's over 480 mammal species on this planet that have homosexual sexual relations. Tendencies, yeah. Yeah. So your argument that it's just not normal is blown out the window. Yeah. I mean, it's just it's. Well, we fed all those we fed all those species gay water. <laughs> they were never gay before the liberals had an agenda to try and convince the world that 480 plus of them were always gay. Yeah. So I mean. It's just concerning that if if Jeff Flake loses, the de- and let's say whoever ends up running against uh, the Repu- who would uh, who would be the uh, the Republican there, uh, and she takes this seat, right? Um, that's going to be an indicator that maybe Trump can secure twenty twenty. I think. I think this is the race you watch. The really scary. If, consideration <laughs> because, because because then what, it, again then we then we see proof that Jeff Flake who is who I disagree with on every issue but he does actually effectively represent his constituency right oh yeah his party in the same sure. way that you can you can hate Harry Reid but respect that he effectively represented his, his right. constituency Jeff Flake has done the same if they deny Jeff Flake because they want someone who is who channels more of a Trumpian vibe. I guess, for lack of a better word, yeah. uh, it's proof that they're behind Trump as an individual, but not behind Trump for purposes of ideology, uh, other than maybe that he's vaguely racist, uh, or because there are any policies that they seem uh, to stand by. It's a really interesting thought. I, I guess I would go first to 2016 and say what turned 2016, and it was three states, yeah, essentially. And so I would really be curious to see in those states how much influence and a, a similar yeah. effect, similar um, counter-candidate would, would be able to have. Because um, I think we're looking at the same types of dynamics for 2020, um, that it's going to come down to uh, the Electoral College again. And uh, Russian interference. It's going to be even, I mean, it's still ongoing, and it's going to get even stronger. Yeah. Um, I don't know that was a public, those that fell for it will be any better at not falling for it again. Yeah, I mean, even then, I mean, we're waiting for at least some. Well, we're waiting for two more investigations to to be fully flushed out. Yeah. The the the. I don't really have any faith in the committee that Adam Schiff sits on anymore. It feels like that they've kind of come to a partisan yeah. standstill, and whatever you expected that. Um, but as much as a P tape would be. Hilarious. Um, <laughs> it's more important that there that we find out whether or not we are subject to ec- to to real external influence, not not to external influence through through media campaigns, 
right? Because while that's bad, um, it's nowhere near as severe as being able to get in, to get in state by state to different voting systems and slightly alter the... Yeah, uh, there's a big spectrum there of what we are subject to. I think we all acknowledge that... Um, intentional manipulation of social media uh, and other information distributing platforms happens all the time. Yeah, and it it's definitely, and it's definitely election, bad. But there's that other part of the spectrum where it's, well, what were the actual consequences of them successfully hacking you know, state, county, and city level um, yeah, if voter you were, offices? If you were able to believe that Hillary Clinton ate babies and was a demon child, chances are you probably weren't going to vote for her anyway. But I don't, I think that only is going to get worse. And I don't, I think every one of these investigation investigations could end as terribly as possibly for Trump. Mm-hmm. I think 2020 is, we're, we're still going to see even greater effect and influence on the voting public through those. I don't think that will change through those same because they, 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 no, they have no influence over it. Yeah, because sociopolitically, I don't think it's going to shift the landscape or the dialogue all that much. I think the candidate will be the most important thing. But the, whoever the candidate is, you're going to have this flood of, I'd hate to use the term fake news, but for all intents and purposes, it is information posing as news, right? That goes in and is fed into these echo chambers in social media, Facebook, Twitter, elsewhere. Um, it, it's powerful. It's effective. It's, yeah, it's, I mean, it's influential. When you have... And it could even be like nine out of ten headlines, a stream across your Facebook wall are coming from legitimate news organizations when the tenth comes from a Sputnik or some other website that is intentionally designed to just take a you know one or two small steps from the headlines you saw and suddenly, you know, Clinton is uh, the Clinton Foundation is being investigated for, I don't know. Uh, only using 9% of their donation funds to actually do work, and they actually are keeping 91%, right? There's statistics in there. There's percentages and numbers. It feels like a legitimate headline. It feels like there was actually some research conducted. Yeah, I mean, that's still something that people are having to be um, woken up about. Yeah. Help them realize that they were tricked. That that actually pulling that off is nearly impossible. I think we have decades ahead of us of this being a tactic that's used not just in politics, but in marketing. Well, I mean, been using the, marketing yeah. forever, but I mean the United States has get used more and it, more outlandish. Has used it in in free elections oh, f- in Iraq and sure. Afghanistan for the last twenty years. But that doesn't make it okay for us to do it for other other countries to do it here. What's right? wrong is wrong. Yeah, what's absolutely balls and strikes. Yeah. Balls and strikes. So well I mean, we kind of segued off of Trump rally and Republican centers and what he's doing to the Republican Party. But uh twenty twenty Nothing good. <laughs> Nothing good. I don't know when Wisconsin and the other other uh, two states are up for uh, any centers are up for re-election, but it will be interesting to see whether or not they can pull off the same and effects there. I think Wisconsin will probably remain pretty red. Yeah, but to your point, like yeah, how how all... how radicalized can the right be made? It has to become uncouth, yeah. and it still hasn't. Yeah. Like it, it it has to be so broadly disliked. And that was, the, that was at least the concern that I had was that we had become a society that resented engaging in political discussions conversationally and casually, mm-hmm. whereas in other states, it's what's expected, right? right? In places like Germany, you don't sit down and talk about cartoons and the weather for 45 minutes. Right. Right. You are expected, and then that's not to, to say that, that Europeans are on average smarter than Americans. That's probably not true. But, it's never so black and white, but... but 
it's undeniable that. Yeah, in in other in other states, I've always found that states that shy away from political discussion tend to have these issues more often. Than yeah, because while Germany does have an issue with some far right groups, they're nowhere near as pervasive as. There are always the. Radical and, and it makes more counter ideology, and it almost makes more sense in in Central Europe to have those issues, right? Because historically, that's where these ideologies came to be. Right. So it, they they're more prevalent there. Uh, the United States kind of has a history of beating back fascism. Yeah. So neo Nazis were the people on the side of the road, and I don't think everybody that start that became a a, a neo-fascist or a semi-neo-fascist or, or had at least had an inkling of that ideology in their political uh, disposition started that way. They were slowly conditioned to Absolutely. In the way that I'm slowly conditioned to, the, to believe the things that I do. Yeah, it's really counter-human nature. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're incentivized to be at mm, what's the right word? Um, to, to get along with your peers and neighbors so that they don't present a threat to your survival. And this is, and the thing is, I think this is what the internet has done. It's created segmented and completely closed off echo chambers where it becomes kind of a, a self-congratulatory environment where whoever manages to, to be the purest in their perspective, at least tote the line of this ideology the the hardest and the farthest and have the, the most inflammatory things to say will always end up with the most reward whether that be views likes whatever that is whatever the internet currency whatever yeah the currency is in that circle for so sure. i i think and this is on the left too right we're seeing oh of course yeah. we're seeing the 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 far left become kind of a, like slowly nothing dangerous like the right but a joke a little bit of a joke in, in some sense. I mean, which 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 piece do you want to pick at first? I mean, the extreme College. social justice warrior stuff, the extreme uh, safe I'm totally safe cool place on campus with individuals the... having uh, because like with the social justice warrior thing, there's a broad spectrum of that, right? No, and that's why I said the extreme end of that. Yeah. Because um, there's a lot of it in the middle. It's it's usually always the extreme five ten percent of things that yeah. present the greatest threat. But oftentimes make us feel like they're way more of a majority than they actually are. Yes, because they, they get the most exposure. So you'd assume yeah. that the thing that gets the most exposure is the thing that is most common. And so you and I, I don't think either of us would ever set a goal that we're going to get rid of extreme ideologies or extreme counterpositions. That's just the nature of things. Uh, but I have legitimate worry that there is enough, um, I don't know, cognitive dissonance going on in this country that someone like a Trump can get elected. And what does that mean for 2020? What does that mean for state Senate races? Well, my question is what happens after Trump? Now that now that we have the set rock. now that we have set this precedent, right? Yeah. That uh, Donald I'm, Trump tweeted as president. Now that we have set this precedent, uh, just a, just another Trump jab because this is an echo chamber and. Uh, we, yeah, we do it too for sure. But, but at least we're trying to also consider the other parts of the spectrum, things at the periphery. Oh, stuff the that left. We don't really... The left will have this same problem. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, because I think. If you saw with Bernie Sanders, a lot of his supporters actually didn't hold a lot of the positions he did. They just projected them onto him. Yeah. I don't but, think Bernie Sanders was as far left as like a lot of his teenage supporters. Yeah, to but be. to your point, what happens after the moment within it, it just happened to coincidentally be Trump. It just happened to be Trump. Yeah. What happens when 
it's okay to elect someone who is so unqualified for the job based on other merits and because other they provide an entertainment i mean the rock is literally considering candidacy That's, to run for the president please don't um mark zuckerberg please no political don't. experience whatsoever considering run for the president presidency um i think we're getting a lot more of it and What's really sad about that reality, I almost want to tell the youth to not vote because it's yeah. going to be way more trend voting, hipster voting, popularity voting. Yeah. Um, so, well, that I was, don't know what we That was part of the reason why I, I still support closed primaries, right? Because only those who have registered ahead of time will be there on voting day. Yeah. And I don't think teens that are on Twitter, like, and I was one of those people, right? Um, will register in time to... It, yeah. It's so tough, though, because you want everyone to feel welcomed oh, they're, and they're to get welcome. involved in the political they're process. They're welcome, right? But if, if you're, but if you're engaged in politics enough to register as X or Y, right? Yeah. To register as X or Y. But remember, you're voting for a candidate to represent a party, your party. You're vo- it would be like if I walked into a Republican primary and proactively vote, which is what I would have done if I could, proact- and it's stupid that I would have done this, but proactively voted for Donald Trump because I thought he was the weakest candidate. You're right, right. right. You don't want that capacity, there, uh, that capability present uh, for there to be sort of a bleeding Kansas-style kind of political revolt within a, uh, within a political party, right? So that's why, you know, the libertarian primaries, as scant as they are, uh, <laughs> don't allow, like, me to go in there and vote for like the sure. dark lord <laughs> uh so and present at least semi-acceptable candidates like johnson yeah i would say the libertarians being a minority party and it's easier logistically with smaller numbers are much more cohesive in how they manage their party you should look at that convention <laughs> <laughs> i then no, I, I invite you to watch i've seen some videos watch it end to end yeah it, it's fantastic they're <laughs> You can definitely say that they're invested. Yes, they're they're very they're highly invested, which I can really appreciate. It's like it's like political comic con. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I mean, I'll, uh, we need more of it. More power to them. We yeah. honestly need more. Of it's it. not and a lot more. It's of not it. dangerous like uh, Vanguard America with a K, or or, or uh, the Dominion movement with the Christian right trying yeah. to you know change the foundation of government government to, to, to become, be biblical principle yeah, to become a theocracy I mean, yeah uh, completely no, absurd no but let's talk about now where we are as it relates to to far left politics far right politics and how they're going to respond to what happened yesterday because they haven't quite responded yet i've been shifting through the social media sphere and i haven't seen any <laughs> crazy response to two Kind of big developments. Sebastian Gorka was fired, who was a political advisor, kind of, to President Donald Trump, who was a member of a neo-fascist uh, political party, kind of. Came uh, in through the being a part of the Bannon inner circle. Yeah, the Bannon train. He's a he was probably one of the Breitbartites. Yeah. Of of U.S. politics, uh, wrote a pretty bad thesis, but we'll get there. Um, and. This is probably the biggest development, at least for when, as, when it comes to, to things that, that, that I'm personally passionate about, uh, the pardoning of Sheriff Joe Arpaio, yeah, yeah. who I think a lot of people agree should be um, yeah. tried. <laughs> he was tried. 
and he was found guilty. Yeah. Well, there are two, there are two other cases that he hasn't been pardoned. Correct, correct. That includes the hangings. Right. Um, but this has, this is having to do with the the, the cruel treatment of right. of Mexican prisoners. Yeah, Tent City. Uh, but there are still other things that that would not be considered double jeopardy. So he's not out of the water yet. No. But this is a scary thing. Yeah. Now presidents do pardon people, right? We saw not like this. Gerald Ford pardoned Nixon, right? But he did it because he needed to maintain the the union. Right. We have no idea what would have happened if there had been precedent set that you can watch an American president go to trial and be imprisoned because he was yeah. Close to being. Name me the last person who was pardoned, who was a multi-decade, rep- multi-decade representative of law enforcement, who was found guilty by the federal government of torture, of being of the torture, and of being absolutely one hundred percent negligent in his responsibilities to the people, to the public, and their uh, uh, as their sheriff now to ensure told, public safety. Now you told me something that, and be, this is I care about this because probably I'm just another one of those millennials dressed in black, who's upset about like the state of the world. And I've known sheriff about I've never personally known sheriff, Joe <laughs> but I've known about sheriff Joe Arpaio ever since the um, the law that was eventually struck down by the court. If you remember the uh, racial profile, the the law that they had that courts had desc- that federal courts had described as racial profile and then was knocked down. If you remember. Right. Uh, maybe this was this was a long time ago. This was about six, seven years ago, maybe, that this was shot down. Um, hmm. Trying to remember. It and this is when I first got exposed to to Sheriff Joe Arpaio. Yeah, he's got about thirty years. So I was born in Arizona. Okay. Um, graduated high school in Arizona. Moved away a little bit between yep. for a couple of years. Uh, but so I know all about Arpaio. Yeah. He's very relevant for me personally. In the state. In the state. Yeah. He's known throughout the state. Oh, uh, yeah. A, a sheriff in the whole Southwest. I mean, and nationally among any conservative Republican. He's considered group. a hero. Yeah, he's considered um, a role model. Yeah. Which is disgusting. Yeah. Uh, because, well, let's just run through the list, right? So Arpaio gets pardoned. Um, I think it was the Arizona Republic newspaper there in Phoenix who sent out a bunch of tweets. It just basically said, here's the Joe Arpaio we know, and we've been reporting on for the last 30 years. Um, started Tent City. Yeah. Uh, self-proclaimed proudly that it was his concentration camp. Uh, went there and personally measured the temperature in the tent camps at 140 plus degrees. The whole point of Tent City was to uh, very intentionally profile Latinos based purely on being Latino uh, and arrest them. Not because they were violating an American law, but because he took it upon himself to be the flag bearer of U.S. immigration policy, federal law. Um, didn't listen when he was told to stop. Um, dozens upon dozens died in those camps. Um, paraded those prisoners around wearing people. pink underwear. 140 Shane, people died. Yeah, yeah. Um, hired someone to fake his political assassination. So hired someone to make it look like uh, Joe Arpaio was trying to be killed because his political beliefs were so... I don't know, important to his side of the party, at least, to try and drum up all this political fervor for his political campaigns. Got caught doing that. The list goes on and on and on. And you have Donald Trump at a time when we've got a Category 4 hurricane uh, bearing down on Texas with hundreds of thousands of lives at stake. We're still still dealing with um, Charlottesville. 
finds the time, completely unnecessarily, by the way, because he still has two counts, of, uh, two different trials to go through, Ohio does, finds the time uh, to pardon him preemptively uh, as a national hero. I think I misspoke. I said 140. I just meant 40 people throughout the prison system. <laughs> I, I think if you look back through everything, it, the prison systems and, and uh, Tent City and others, it's, it's in the hundreds. It's in the because hundreds? Because you also have... I just, I just looked up that it, was the, it was the hangings that they were considering, and the ACLU put out a tweet saying that it was around 40. Okay. But it, it, should, it could be in the hundreds because Tent City would kill you. One's too many. We definitely want to be accurate in the numbers we use. Let's definitely go with 40 for now. We can look it up. Um, but another, actually another thing, he, he did not prosecute over 30 cases of child molestation that was pushed and pushed. He had a, he had a personal Joe Arpaio Sheriff's posse, an inner circle that he ran with. Um, one of which was one of the people who came up on child molestation charges and did not get. So what was, what was this posse? It was, were they private citizens or were they? No, it was his dozen or so. I don't remember the exact number, like inner circle of sheriff's so like, deputies. So that, the sheriff's secret police. Yeah, yeah. The yeah. sheriff's secret police. And he, he police. called it his posse. Oh, it was our pilot's posse. Um, so if you had any question about whether or not Trump supported the KKK, white supremacy, racial profiling, racist organizations. This is the biggest development, I think, in indicating. Yeah, if he's going to get on the pulpit and call someone like Joe Arpaio a national hero, what more do you need to know? Yeah, at this point, it's gotten to be there, there's not anything I could say that would satisfy what is required to truly describe the really the moral depravity that that is just being witnessed. I, I can't think and this is the this is the this is the conflict that I have when we talk about issues like this. It's one thing when we discuss congressional procedures and why Ted Cruz doesn't get along with John McCain. Sure. Things like that. But it's another thing to talk about these sort of issues that at least used to be universally perceived as good or bad. Right. And I would like to think that the United States 40 years ago would have thought, oh, wow, some psychotic sheriff setting up a makeshift, what he referred to as a concentration camp, mm-hmm. where conditions were the result of dozens of deaths and many more suicides by hanging that we as a nation would say that that's not okay. At least I think that's what would have happened. But maybe there's a element of the the electorate in this unit in the United States or and the general populace that has just become so internalized and really systematically siphoned off into different camps, different corners of the political spectrum, that there is a group of Americans who believe that this is not morally reprehensible anymore. No, they believe it's righteous. They believe that um, when someone breaks the law, you don't have to treat them as a human being any longer. And when suddenly the law is, um, uh, if we're talking about border violation, you talk about coming to this country illegally, um, their their lazy mental thinking allows them to group any non-white, so anyone from Mexico essentially. Well, what do the Mexicans look like? Well, they're brown. Any any brown person uh, into that bucket, 
Mm-hmm. And so now they're lawbreakers, so we don't have to treat them as human beings. And it's so interesting because this is a this is a now historically like really common echoed, theme echoed to to the White House press pool by multiple different people. Yeah, but this is this is as far as the country goes, though. This is a common theme in religion: the judging of a person to be a sinner, and then the punishing of that person. No. That dynamic, that power, uh, is a, appealing. And an attractive part of what brings people to religion. And is it uniquely Puritan? I think it's uniquely fundamentalist. So, I think so, you're more fundamentalist Muslims. I think you're more fundamentalist Christians. Yeah. And I think that's part of the dynamic that's going on that serves as some form of foundation for their own individualized hatred and judgment and wanting to punish people. I, I know it's a, like a very nuanced thing. I know there's a lot of reasons that people arrive at that state. But to your point, there are far too many people in this country that have found some way to rationalize treating big swaths of humanity as sinners who just need to be judged and punished. And maybe, you know, for the non-religious, there's plenty of racists that are not religious, but they just find them beneath them or whatever rationalization they use, and they spend so much energy I can't believe wanting to punish that them. Sheriff Joe Arpaio has displayed such a complete lack of any sort of understanding of or at least any even redeemable quality of humanity that we're look overlooking the fact that this guy tried to stage an assassination attempt right. and was caught by local press <laughs> if you're so bad at this that the local press can figure it out that's, uh, and it's uh, this is all about loyalty, which is so interesting because we now have someone in in office as the president for well, whom loyalty. It's is not first. even. I don't even think it's loyalty. If no, if it is. Let, let me finish the thread okay. real quick. At least for me, it is. Sure. Arpaio gets Trump's pardon and Trump's uh, affection because of his loyalty. It started when he sent the Arizona sheriffs to go pursue the you know non-existent birth certificate of President Obama. Started back then, and he's had him all the way till now. Um, the loyalty in going after – ah, shit. I forgot that thread I threw out. We'll just end it there as far as okay. that thread goes. But as far as loyalty so goes, I, Trump I'm going to have to slightly disagree before we close this out in that if it was deemed as politically undesirable for Trump to do this with his base because he doesn't take the rest of the country into account. Is, was it deemed undesirable for him to do this? By the, if it was, if it was, oh, if it was, you okay. would not have seen a pardon. You might have seen an offhand supportive remark at the rally, which is what I thought this was all going to come to. Just one remark, and he wouldn't actually have the the cast iron balls to do something this insane. Hmm. That's an interesting. That's an interesting point. It it's only because it will elicit a positive reaction from his base. If you saw the Joe Arpaio tweet, it was more retweeted than anything else he had said in the past several days. Yeah. So it's his base that wanted to see Sheriff Joe Arpaio pardoned. He doesn't give a crap whether this guy rots in a uh, in a small confined cell in a federal penitentiary. Yeah. It's only because he wants to give a gift to his fan base. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's there's a big segment of the Ameri- or the Arizona constituency, the Arizona populace that that believes just like Trump has stated that Arpaio is a hero, that he's protected the streets from all this, uh, 
you know, immigrant crime. Um, this is just totally founded in fear, not facts. Anecdotal. Um, but is that when when we see Trump advisors like Stephen Miller come out and talk about sanctuary cities, do people like Stephen Miller want to see Sheriff Joe Arpaio's policies mirrored onto all other major cities in the United States? I, I can't possibly think that that's the position they hold. Because if if Trump is pardoning Sheriff Joe Arpaio, he's doing two things. He's ensuring that he doesn't go to to federal prison, right? Because these were federal violations of the law. Right. But what he's also doing with a pardon is with a pardon comes a presidential ad- becomes a presidential admission of guilt. If you pardon somebody, you are stating they were guilty of committing this crime, but they will not uh, their sentence will be commuted. Yeah. So that's why a lot of people were calling for uh, those present at Abu Ghraib that did, that weren't sentenced to time in prison to just be pardoned, or those mentioned in the torture report mm. to just be pardoned. Because while they might not answer for anything that they did, right, we will at least have the federal government come down and say they were guilty of this thing. So I don't know why... I don't know that that nuance ever makes it into to Trump's head, or the party, or his head. supporters. Yeah, I, I, don't, I think and they I don't saw a pardon, and Sheriff he's, he's Arpaio, free and innocent. Sheriff Joe Arpaio is 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 a is a cornerstone of Republican politics. I he thinks he is, but I I doubt it because we didn't see any positive commentary coming from senators in Arizona. The two senators. No, they in Arizona. cannot afford. I mean, that's an that's an only Arizona issue. The, the the dynamic there of Republican support for Arpaio is only Arizona. Yeah, I, I can't imagine a lot of people supporting Joe. No, and 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 actually, this goes back to the loyalty point. I remember now. This is this is Arizona Republicans and their loyalty to Arpaio. Yeah, because it's the lines there, of course, like in any other state, are Republicans versus Democrats, and it's always been the the us versus them. And in your local politics, you know who's on your side, who's on your team. Arpaio, for a long time, was seen as a, a big time Republican leader in the yeah. state, and so he's just. To Arizona Republicans, a bit of a mythical figure. They're gonna always gonna back him. Um, sadly, they don't put any apply any critical thought to the process. Because no. if I took everything Arpaio did, and I d- went in front of Arizona Republicans and described a progressive university professor or someone else in a northeastern state um, who motivated campus kids to do all these other things. Like you could draw a very, very similar parallel. You could use probably some of the exact same, um, actions mm-hmm. and crimes that are pyro committed. Um, you describe that person without a name and just painted a rough yeah, picture. So let's just say it was like the Stanford, uh, prison experiment, but like, yeah, to another level, they would, they would further. call it out as a crime against humanity. Yeah. But you just change the name and you just change the political party affiliation of the name. And the individuals it's impacting. Yeah, and yeah, exactly. Yeah, if these were white people who were being put into white college students. Yeah, um, and so I think it's really easy to get to the point to try and highlight to these people what dynamics is at play for them. Now, getting a conversation with them, getting an audience with them, getting a, them into an environment where you can have an open conversation where they can consider those things is the real challenge. But I, I don't think once you got them there that they could defend that. For very long yeah um so another i think really sad uh moment for american politics and especially race relations in yeah. this country and and equal rights and where do, where 
what does it look like to be a minority in this country? Uh, things like this um, really affect the real American dream. Not the one of buying a home, but the idea that you can come to this country no matter who you are and your background and succeed if you're, if you're a good person. Yeah. If you work hard, and even the work hard, and there's a whole conversation there, but if you're a good, honest individual, uh, unfortunately, it helps a lot to be white. It does. So uh, let's wrap up. Well, we, uh, as much as this ends the on, hour. A, <laughs> on, a, on a pretty bad note. That's, that's where we are. Thanks for uh, having me. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, we will keep up with you through the next week. Uh, a lot going on. And we will see you then. All around.